Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the this week's episode of the Super Image LTD podcast. Today, we have special guest uh, Randy Barros, and I'd like to let her uh, introduce herself. She's uh, we're very excited to have her on the show. Randy, hi, everybody. Um, so, yeah, I work primarily as a film editor, and I also am a film professor at Cal Poly. Um, my main I don't know, thing that I love uh, in the film world is screenwriting. Um, so that's what I work on whenever I have a chance. Um, and so, yeah, I'm in the middle of writing, I don't know, two features and three TV pilots and um, trying to get them out into the world. So the, starting to get some interest. So that's kind of exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah and, and tell us a little bit about... Uh, what got you into filmmaking is specifically screenwriting where how old were you and what was that that kind of aha moment you had i really had one of those aha moments i i didn't really i always loved film but i never thought of myself as someone who would work in film it just didn't occur to me um and i when i went to college i was thinking sociology because i'd had a great sociology teacher in high school and I liked it. So started that and I was like, oh, I've got a little bored. And then I was always interested in political science. So I started taking a lot of classes in that and um, anthropology, um, but I always loved to write. Like I wrote my first short story when I was seven. It was called The Lost Shoe. <laughs> I was very influenced by Nancy Drew. Um, but I, um, so I took writing classes and literature classes too. So I was just taking all these things and, you know, Find, trying to find what I wanted to do. At the same time, I'd always been interested in photography. So I was taking all the photography classes that I could without being a photography major. And then it got to the point where I really wanted to take color photography. And they're like, okay, you can only take color photography if you become a film photo major. And I was like, really? I don't know. And so I thought, I want to go abroad for a semester. I had to decide what my major was. So I just was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I became a photo major and I had to take an intro to film class. And it was just like, ta-da, like it just all clicked. It was everything I loved. It was sociology and political science because my first film that I made, well, maybe it was the second film, was a documentary. And I, so I was really passionate about that. But it was fiction, you know, it was like making up stories. And the first time I took, you know, as a requirement, I had to take intro to screenwriting. I loved it. You know, it was just like one of those things, like it just, it just clicked for me at the very beginning, you know, and my professor was like, wow, you know, have you done this before? I was like, no, but I love it. So it just kind of became that way. That's awesome. Awesome. One thing, I think one thing I wanted to ask just kind of to introduce and get this, get this ball rolling on this interview was, um, so when we, when we first met you, it was, we knew that you were teaching at Cal Poly. So, um, what is something that you get out of teaching, um, the art of film and filmmaking and photography and, kind of that kind of thought process, what do you get out of that that maybe helps your own craft? Um, that's a good question. I guess I, um, I am thinking about screenwriting all the time. I have, especially when I'm you know, teaching a class, like right now I have 26 students who are writing screenplays. Um, they're writing short screenplays, but still there are two drafts and um, of each one. And sometimes, 
depending on the student because they can choose their final project. They're writing three, two drafts of three screenplays with outlines and treatments and all of that. So I'm really thinking about what makes a good story, you know, characters, um, making vivid characters and all of that. And as I'm talking, you know, teaching them or, you know, guiding them, I'm also guiding myself. So, um, so yeah, it just, it just keeps me kind of on my toes with screenwriting. Um, I sometimes find myself like, you know, skipping a step that I tell my students that they need to do. And then I'll say, boy, my characters aren't as deep as I want or whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, because I didn't do those character analyses that I make all my students do. <laughs> so if I go back and I do those real steps, um, you know, and really think about it and, and not try to skip, not try to jump into it too fast. Very often, you know, I'm juggling a lot of things, you know, I'm teaching, I'm editing, I'm writing, I'm a mom, you know? So sometimes I'll think like, oh, I'm just gonna write that first draft. And you can't do it that way, you know? So so that that's part of it. Um, but, you know, students just keep us fresh and young and and, um, and seeing them get excited about it, it keeps me excited about it too. I, you know, very often have students who like never even thought, just like me, never thought about film or screenwriting until they got into the class and then they're like, just so excited about it. So it's, that's infectious also. Do you have any um, kind of, as you went along your journey in, in discovering a screenwriting, discovering film, were there any filmmakers or, or films that stood out to you as kind of influencing you or inspiring you to kind of find your own voice? I mean, there's so many films that I've loved over the years, but I will say, one of the first, and I love coming of age stories. One of the screenplays that um, I'm working on right now is is a coming of age story. In some ways, uh, autobiographical. Of course, you know, starting with my story and then going into the land of fiction. Um, but I loved the film The Four Hundred Blows. The first time I saw that film, it just blew me away. I I was a student um, and I was going to school in Ithaca. And Cornell had this really big film program. And so I went, and I still remember that feeling sitting there and the film ends. And I don't know if you're familiar with the film, but the last shot is this close-up yeah. of Antoine Donnell, the character. And we don't know what, it's an ambiguous ending, but it's just such a poignant moment. The freeze frame, right? That freeze yeah. frame. I was frozen, just like he was. Like, I could not move. A, I didn't want the film to end. I didn't want to leave his world. I just loved you know, how cinematic it was, the music, the whole thing, and then just how character-driven it was. Like, he just felt like such a real, tangible person and character. So um, so I think that influenced me a lot, that I really love character-driven stories um, and always have. Then if I look back to, like, the films I liked when I was a kid, I was not one of those people who was, in, who was into Star Wars, like a lot of people, because I just the characters didn't really mean anything to me. I always liked character-driven stories. Like I loved The Godfather from a young yeah. age because it just like all those characters are so distinctive. And now I teach that film and I've probably seen it, I don't know, 30, 40 times. I don't know how many times I've seen the film now. I still see new things in it. You know, it's it's an incredible film. My um, friends who have seen The Godfather who are like, they're not even like film savvy or anything, but I've, I've said, you have to sit down and watch it. Uh, they always come back to me afterwards going, oh man, I felt like I got lost in, you know, the, those characters, their world. Like no matter what your background is, that film really just kind of grabs you and really pulls you into that. Not just the, the story, but like you're saying, like the characters, the world, the way they interact, it's really amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, it really is. And uh, yeah, so I mean, if, if you just think like the television shows that I'm attracted to, I love Fleabag. Um, uh, her character is just so vivid to me. That's a great show. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually has the the book yeah. of the screenplays of both seasons, I believe. We, I have, uh, yeah. this, this, the scriptures. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen Normal People. That's really just about a relationship between two people. Not that much happens, but it's I've heard about that show. Very yeah. character driven and it's beautiful screenplay, you know, or series of teleplays. Yeah. But the way they tell the story is is what's important. Yeah, and the uh, the author who wrote the book um, wrote the screenplay as well. So she it was an incredible adaptation. Absolutely, uh, Carlos. Um, so I think that that gives us a lot of you know context of where you come from with with film, and I think one of the most interesting things about making films nowadays is that now there's just such a a wide array of films out there and you have your, you know, run of the mill, just Hollywood movies, you have your blockbusters and then you have your smaller independent movies that now are moving to stuff like streaming and stuff like that. So it's this changing world and changing face of cinema. So what do you think, what do you think you want to fit in this kind of changing world of film and, and what kind of films do you want to make and, and where do you want to maybe be in, in this, um, you know, huge, huge industry. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, ideally, I would love to get, um, you know, one of my screenplays produced uh, either as a film or a television show. Um, the things that I'm working on right now are, you know, the, the screenplay, as I said, it's called The Chicken Festival. Um, it's loosely based on um, a long weekend um, that have, you know, that I experienced in uh, Dover, Delaware. Where I grew up so it's it's like it, you know it's it's a young girl who's coming um coming of age sexually at the same time as her um, family's kind of falling apart you know her mother's dying of cancer her father doesn't know how to deal with it and she has these two crazy sisters who are putting on a Jerry Lewis telethon so some of that's true some of it's not but it's just like you know, that crux, like that moment when you're you're on the edge of still being a child, but your mind is looking all around and who am I going to be and how, where am I, where am I going to go? And how do I fit in and what do I do? And um, so there's that story. I'm also working on a television uh, pilot, excuse me, that is um, loosely based on my family's immigration story. So I'm really interested in immigration from so many levels. Um, so that's one of the things I'm exploring with that. So it starts with them in London. Um, they're Polish refugees, um, starting to put a life together. It's not good, but it's not te terrible. You know, they're, they're trying to make it work and they're doing okay. When all of a sudden they get an offer from a family member, um, in New York saying that there's a job for the father waiting there for him to become the bagel maker. And, uh, and they have to decide if they're going to give up everything. And um, they end up coming across. And then by the time they get there, because of all these things that happen, the job is gone. So they're left with nothing and trying to make it um, on the Lower East Side of Manhattan in 1905. So um, <clears throat> that's another story I'm working on. And then I have another screenplay or television pilot um, that's um, about a woman who's 
in her mid forties and suddenly her whole life changes. Um, and she's an immigration lawyer. So again, immigration, um, uh, living in uh, San Diego and suddenly her husband dies. She, she already has a teenager and she finds out she's pregnant. And so just, you know, being a 45 year old mom, new mom, um, and then also juggling everything. And she finds out that her husband's gambled away all their money. So anyway, I love these stories where women or characters have to figure out how they're, how they're going to survive, like in a changing circumstance and what they're going to do. So that might not have been the, what you asked, but. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's great. And I think it gives a lot of insight into where, you know, what kind of stories you want to tell, because, you know, as a screenwriter, you're, your number one job is to be a storyteller and to yeah. make not only, you know, when, when you're writing a novel or even when you're writing a graphic novel, a comic book, or, or even painting a, a picture, um, storytelling is different in every form. And screenwriting is, is, is one of the harder forms because it, you're giving directions for your, for the final product, which, you know, could be vastly different than what's on the page. And so I think it's really important that, you know, the stories that you tell, like you said, have strong character, because character yeah. is one thing that I think will, will probably not change. And, and I'm working on a short right now here at the here at the school where it is 100 percent character driven because the 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 camera, the point of view takes place from the perspective of a household cat. And you're watching this marriage unfold in front of you and based, you know, the hardships of, of that come with a young marriage and a, and a young relationship. Um, it's a, you have to, you know, you have to have those relatable, strong characters in order to yes. tell that story. Otherwise it's just, there's nothing to it. They're just, yeah. otherwise you just don't, don't really care. Exactly. Think, oh, that was a cool shot or wow. Good chase scene or whatever. But if I don't care about the characters, I'm not going to really remember it afterwards. I, I like those kinds of things that you're up all night or not all night, but you know, you're up thinking about oh, yeah. just if she had done this, she could have, this would have happened or oh, why did he make that choice? Or, you know, yeah. um, there's certain shows that I, it's hard for me to watch before I go to bed, like breaking bad. for instance. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, why did Jesse make that choice? Or, you know, like, and, and yeah, it's, you know, it's, have you watched better call Saul? I've seen a bit of it, but I, I really want to finish all of breaking bad. Oh, okay. I yes. Watch. Better Call Saul, and it's just so hard for me to do it because literally I will be up. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking Bad is that show. It will keep you <laughs> going. It keeps you up, you yeah. know? It's excellent. It's amazing how they, through, I mean, all five seasons, it's just consistent quality all the way through. It's amazing. Yeah, but the characters don't stay in one place. They yes. really go through so much. Yeah. The one thing, I, I, I have a feeling you'll like Better Call Saul because... I feel just from my experience watching it so far, it's definitely a lot more character driven even than Breaking Bad is because Breaking Bad, as character driven as it is, it's still very plot heavy in how it has yes. to tell that story. Better right. Call Saul really gives you that time to get into the characters and they do a lot of amazing character work. And I have to give a lot of credit to the actors. I mean, they they take that writing and they just take it to the next level that if it weren't for the acting i don't know if i would have been as interested in the show you know so it, it's all comes together to to elevate that story which that kind of leads me to my next question is out of all the things you've written how many of them have been produced 
Uh, well, none of them have been produced. Well, sort of. The one I was just talking about, the um, the one about uh, the woman who finds herself in the immigration lawyer who finds herself in this completely new situation in September. And it won um, the, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the contest, the She Called Action contest. And it was one of five screenplays that was produced into a podcast. Oh, um, wow. for so they cast it. I loved the lead actor. She was fantastic. Um, and they produced it into a podcast. And I went to LA where it was produced um, but it was one of those things that's really hard because as I was sitting there, I was just like so excited. I just loved how she was just capturing the character and some of the other roles too. And then they're like, okay, let's do it again. And so they, they did it a second time and the actors didn't know they were going to do it a second time. And to me, it wasn't as good. It didn't have a strong feeling, but I think they were trying to fix some sound issues or something like that. And then that's the one that they ended up putting on the podcast and, uh, and, and the sound her, she was sharing the lead was sharing a mic with somebody else. So her voice was really low. Whereas the uh, minor characters were really high. I just felt she was getting lost. I don't know, I'm an editor. So I just wanted to recut and remix the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that really taught me that feeling of like, when you write something and you bring it out to the world, it's like not yours anymore, you know, in a sense. Like you That's kind of where I wanted to go with it. Yeah. To ask. And, and so about those actors and how they interpreted your work. I mean, that was obviously a, you had a good experience with the way the actors treated your work, but you had a, a conflict as far as the way the, uh, the podcasters presented it essentially. Yeah. I mean, you know, not to put them down or anything like they, they're doing the best they could. It's just, yeah. I'm attached to it in a way they're not. So I heard I was hearing it in a way they weren't. It's you know? it's a part of the 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 experience of being a screenwriter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and to just go from that elation of just like oh my god, they really got it to like oh no, no, like I didn't even want to share it, you know, with a you know in the way that I would have. Um, so that's hard. Yeah, um, I also wrote um, a couple short uh, films. And that were produced um, into films. I, um, one was Goodnight Elizabeth. This is when I was in grad school. I went to Columbia University Film School. Um, and that was my, I guess, my thesis film, even though I did it early. Um, so that was kind of exciting to bring that to life. And then I had another script um, called Live Free or Die that I produced a trailer for. Um, this was maybe 20 years ago now. Um, so that was interesting to see that evolve. Um, but at this point, I'm not as interested in directing my own work. I really think I'd like to, you know, either work with a director that um, really kind of gets what I'm doing or, you know, be able to have something optioned and sold. That's where I am right now. And I've gotten, um, you know, some really good response that springtime in September has won um, a bunch of awards at festivals and so and I have some interest um I have a mentor who I'm working with it, it um it was in the cine story um screenwriting uh well television writing competition and it was a semi-finalist there and I met a mentor there who's working with me on that and my other screenplay the um what was formerly called Big Wars the one that's based on my family oh, yeah. Um, I've just changed it to newcomers. So, um, 
So I haven't yet gotten that out to festivals. I'm just still trying to get five more pages out of it because it's a little too long and then I'm going to kind of get it out to the world. So that's kind of something, I mean, I, I know a little bit about it simply because I, I'm familiar with the festival circuit, but I think our listeners and our viewers might not be as familiar. Um, are these these festivals for screenplays? Uh, Want to tell us a little bit about that and what that experience is like? Because I personally have never never submitted anything like that, so I'm, oh, yeah. I'm new to it also. Um, well, there are several. That's the hard thing, because you could just be submitting to a festival like, you know, every other day. So you have to really look through and um, and choose choose wisely because each one costs money too. Um, but there are a lot of great ones and they can help get your screenplay to the next level. Um, Cine Story is fantastic. It's, it's similar to the Sundance Writers Lab, but it's kind of a California version. So once your script, and they have, um, I think they have two screenplay and two um, television uh, retreats each year. I could be wrong about that, um, but but they at least have one of each. I think they have two of each. And um, what you do is you, once your script is you, either a quarterfinalist, a semifinalist, or a finalist, um, you go uh, to a retreat. Typically, it's in, um, I'm forgetting what city or what town it's in, but um, it's in California in the mountains. Um, but when mine was chosen, we, they had to do it virtually because of COVID. Yeah. Um, so, but it was still a really wonderful experience. I met a lot of other writers there and um, I had a couple of really wonderful mentors. Um, so they help you, you do all kinds of stuff there. You work with your group to like plot out a TV show um, or you um, listen to a lot of really interesting uh, writers talk about their craft and you can ask them questions in like kind of informal situations like like lunch kickback kind of things and um but you're also it's a work in progress kind of festival so you're taking your screenplay you're getting notes from mentors you're talking to the mentors and you're bringing um your scripts to the next level so that was a really wonderful ex experience um i also um I'm a quarterfinalist for um, Final Drafts, Big Break Screenplay Contest. So the idea is those who are finalists get introduced to um, potential people in the industry who um, can help take your script to, you know, get, get your representation and get your script out there. So, um, and then there's also the smaller ones, you know, and in some ways those are good because, um, you know, you you don't have as many people competing. There are a lot of people writing screenplays <laughs> right now. And, you know, so there, there is a lot going on, but um, that's why I say, you know, just like look through, read the reviews, choose wisely. But yeah, I highly recommend doing that because it's hard to get your work out there. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I mean, I've been doing this for a while. There's, I don't think there's an easy path to it. Um, yeah. Um, and I know a lot of talented writers who just decide, you know, I'm, you have to really deal with rejection a lot, you know, so you have to be able to do that and, um, you know, just get up and keep writing. Like one of my best friends is also a screenwriter. We've known each other forever and she started to get a lot of attention. Her, one of her scripts um, got accepted to a Sundance Writers Lab and um, 
so that's been exciting for her. But she she said they just like totally destroyed. It was her turn to be critiqued the other day, and she said it was so painful. And she's like, "Am I a masochist? Why am I doing this?" You know. But she got up the next day and got back to it. So it's just and learning to work with that. Yeah, that's part of the yeah. experience, also. Right, and when you get notes, like a lot of them are really good, but some of them don't necessarily make your script better. So you have to yeah. really look at those notes and really think like, you know, what, what makes sense to you? What note makes you think, oh, that solves my problem that I was working on. Or, you know, sometimes you have to let it all digest um, and then go back to your script. So yeah, it's a process. <laughs> For process. sure. Yeah. Well, one question I had is, um, you know, living on the central coast, it's for us, for Kyle and I, it's been a major source of inspiration for us as far as, you know, even just being able to live here, not only amongst the, the beautiful scenery and just the, the diverse array of, you know, locations and people, but it's been mainly an inspiration for us to collaborate with other creatives and other artists. So what would you say the Central Coast has done for you as far as inspiring? And do you think maybe there's a market for your stories and screenplays here on the Central Coast to either be shopped around to be made or to, um, you know, collaborate with other people. I feel like the film community, there's a really, um, there are a lot of talented filmmakers here, young um, and older. Um, I feel like what is lacking is just kind of bringing everybody together. I mean, there, there are definitely, there's the Slow Film Festival, there's the Cambria Film Festival. Um, there are things, but I feel like, you know, we all are, we could all benefit from more opportunities to, um, bring us together. So um, I'm actually working um, with uh, Sarah Risley from the Central Coast Film Society, and we're bringing a chapter of women in film here to SLOW. Um, so, yeah, Sarah uh, just told us about that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And guys can join that as well. It's not going to be exclusive to women, but we're hoping that that will help create some community. Sarah's creating community with the Film Society and you guys with what you're doing. So bringing it all together. I'd love to be making films here. I think it would be so great to set something here, get it made here. I feel like there are a lot of talented people who um, are looking for projects to work on. Um, so it would be fun to collaborate. Um, and how it inspires me. I mean, I, it's just such a beautiful place. So, you know, I, I just traveled around. I was just telling you guys, I just went for a 12 day trip with my daughters looking at colleges. And so we went, all over the place, um, starting in Arizona, ending in Indiana, and like stopping in many states in between different colleges that she was accepted to. As we were flying back into slow, we were just, just stunned by the beauty as we were coming in and everything's green right now. So yeah. it just looked so beautiful. And I said, we've been to a lot of places, but this is most beautiful that we've been to. So slow has this I don't know, this is openness. And, you know, I have a dog. I go out every morning and take her somewhere. And that's where I do my best, not necessarily writing, but thinking about writing. Like, that's where I come up with ideas or solve um, issues in my writing. So I feel like I'm just inspired by the, the beauty here and the openness here. Um, it just gives me time to think. It's, like, meditative for yeah. me. So that's really helpful. And it, and it is a great community as far as it is it is building up. I definitely, ha uh, being part of Central Coast Film Society, being part of Slow Film Fest and Cambria Film Fest, being part of all those those groups and kind of seeing uh, over the last like 
five years, seeing it all kind of like start moving towards coming together has been really exciting. Mm -hmm. And I, I also look forward to being able to eventually, you know, shoot a project here. Um, I just worked on a film last fall. It was, they were, they were from down in LA, but they came and shot here in San Luis Obispo for the film Brute Force. Um, oh, yeah. And so I was, I was there behind the scenes, uh, still photographer. And it was really cool. Cause all the, the entire crew was like, Oh my God, we love it here. We love slow. We want to come back yeah, and make yeah. more movies here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they were lucky because the majority of the film took place on like wine, uh, yeah. Vineyards. And so they got to go to all the wineries around here. So that was pretty cool. It was a lot of, yeah, fun. that's yeah. But I there's know. a lot of beauty here and a lot of really, really amazing uh, talent, but also just, just the, the people here, the resources here, it's ripe. I mean, it's like, it totally is. And I, you know, I've lived here, I think 11 or 12 years now, and I've really watched the slow film festival grow during that period. Um, it's, you know, it's just every year, it seems like besides these COVID years, right. but it's just like the increasing in size. And um, my students have a screening um, every year and it started quietly kind of at the palm that it got so big that the lines were wrapped around the block and a bunch of people couldn't get in. Then we did it at the Fremont and we like, we didn't completely fill the 700 seat Fremont, but we filled about 400 of those seats. And, um, and so people are so excited about film here. Um, and so it's just, it, it's just getting better. And I'm glad you guys are doing what you're doing. I feel like you're really helping to, you know, focus our community. Um, are you planning to work here when you come back, Carlos? Are you, are you going to launch? Yes. Yeah, no, that's my plan. I'm going to graduate here um, in two years. And yeah, my goal is to just come back and work with Kyle. And it's so awesome that you guys like to work together. Yes. <laughs> oh, I, think, I think it's great. You know, even, even apart, we still, we still work together, you know, as best as we can. And yeah, I think, um, like over the summers, I'll be back and, I'll, and we'll be working on stuff and, you know, I'll be able to get acquainted back with the, the Central Coast life. Cause I'll admit that the life over here in Utah is quite different. Yeah. Um, I bet. It's different. The vibe is different, but uh, I'm just, I'm always excited to come back and, and have something new to work on. And um, yeah, so after I graduate, we'll be, we'll be launching Super Image and building it up, you know, further than we're doing it now. So yeah, yeah. it's going to be great for us. Yeah, because I can only carry so much by myself here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. But this is a great opportunity because this, this kind of uh, experience also lets our followers or viewers uh, kind of get to see us as like, oh, hey, they're real people too. <laughs> and yeah. they work yeah. with real people and know real people. Like yeah. that's, uh, I think that at the end of the day, and that's kind of where I wanted to go next was at the end of the day, everybody who's working in this industry, we're all real people. And um, what's one thing that, you could say to, you know, kind of students or, or even just, just uh, people at the beginning of their screenwriting or filmmaking journey about the idea of constantly learning. Cause I mean, I always find myself, I mean, I've been graduated for a while now and I still am constantly learning and I know for sure I'm going to always be learning, you know, every project you work on is learning for the next one, essentially. So what would you want to say about, towards that? Well, I mean, I think, you, when you teach, you learn. 
Um, someone once told me that the word is the same in Dutch. I don't know if that's true because I don't speak Dutch, but the words teach and learn. So um, I think I think that's um, really true. But also, I just actually finished my MFA, so I dropped out of Columbia Film School back in the day because I, you know, I shot my film. It was in the lab. I wanted to get back to working on it. I had all this editing work, and I was just like, I don't need a degree. I'm never going to teach. So I dropped out, and I, of course, then ended up teaching much later. Didn't didn't expect I would be, but um, really loved it. And then Cal Poly was like, well, you need to finish that MFA of yours. So I found a low residency <laughs> program um, called Stephen uh, through Stevens College, um, where we met twice a year for uh, 12-day workshops, um, all at the uh, Charlie Chaplin Studios, um, <clears throat> which are now the Jim Henson Studios, which was so fantastic and met incredible people there um, and learned so much. Like I kind of went back thinking, oh, you know, I really, I teach film. I've been working in film for, you know, all these years, but I learned so much because it was all, um, you know, we were writing screenplays, um, but we were also learning about the history of screenwriting. And something I didn't know is that the earliest screenwriters were mostly women. And there were people like Frances Marion, who was the highest paid screenwriter of her time, who also won the first Academy Award for screenwriting, <clears throat> who, you know, really influenced early films. Not only her, there were like, I like 50 of these women who were yeah. writing. Like I did a research paper on um, one female screenwriter who had written over a hundred scripts and I was able to find them at the film library in LA. Wow. And, and it wasn't until sound became a big part of films that men started to take on roles. Same with editing. The early editors were mostly women because they yeah. thought of it very similar to sewing. Right. And you're pulling things together tapey or whatever, um, bluing, I guess, at that point. Um, and so then when South came in, more men took over those roles. But all along, there's always been these women who were like putting the stories together, either writing them or editing them. Um, and that were so, I mean, I'm an editor, so I know how influential an editor can be to how a film ends up being. You know, they're the quiet force behind a film. So... Um, so anyway, that, you know, talking about learning, like that stuff that I didn't know that really excited me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, you learn until you drop, <laughs> you have to, you know, and, and, um, yeah, uh, every screenplay, every new screenplay, every editing project that I do is being immersed into a whole world. Like for my, um, period piece, um, you know, I, I went to the, um, um, what's it called? The Lower East Side Tenement Museum, which is just filled with stories of people who came over different years. Um, yeah, wow. Stories, and I like got lost in their library. I've studied so much. I have these thick books all about Ellis Island, just filled with incredible pictures. Like, you're always learning when you're writing because, you know, there, there's just so much to know. And a lot of that isn't going to necessarily end up in the screenplay or the film but it makes it richer. It deepens it. It so. informs it. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that's, you know, the research aspect, I, even if it's just something very small, you know, depending on whatever the scope of your project is, it really does bring that kind of next level of, of depth, which it really applies to every aspect of filmmaking. And because you can tell when something is truly coming from a sincere place of understanding, 
Uh, or if it's something that's just put together to just show what's in front of the camera. There is a big difference between those two. Definitely. Um, so one thing that we haven't really mentioned, and you've but you've brought it up twice now, is um, you're, you're an editor also. Um, so tell us a little bit about your work editing and how you got into that. So I often think of myself as the reluctant editor because I hadn't, I never planned to be an editor, but my first film project, um, my best friend was shooting it and, you know, it was filmed back then. So you had to like load the camera and it just made me so nervous. Like I was so afraid I wasn't going to load it properly. <laughs> we we're going to get all the actors there and film everything and not have anything. So, so that was her job. So I was like, I'll do the editing. I had never done it before. And it was a steam back at the time, like film editing. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I just, it was just something I naturally could do. I'd always like puzzles and putting things together. But I mean, I remember our first like kind of big edit that I did, like the film was, it was, you had to be a doorknob film and a doorknob had to lead somehow to someone's death. So we had this lead character, Dora Knob, and she poisoned somebody with her little like ring. Anyway, she goes like that. I remember going from the wide shot to the close shot of her poisoning him. And we were jumping up and down in the editing room. We were so excited, you know, and I just took it from there. Then my school started hiring me out um, doing editing projects because they were doing um, different promotional films about the school. Then I moved to Washington, D.C., where I um, got a job at a small production company. And all of a sudden they were like, hey, can you do some editing? We just have some small projects on the side. I started doing those and then people noticed. And then I started getting hired out as an editor and then you know, moved to Boston and became the post-production supervisor for Adventure, which was a WGBH show, um, edited all the promos, and then started working as a freelance editor, Bulati blog, you know, just kept going like yeah. that. Then I decided, okay, I want to get back to writing and directing, so I went to Columbia Film School. And to earn money, because I was broke, I started freelancing as an editor, and then, you know, that's what I did. And then when I moved to San Luis Obispo, um, 12 years ago, it was finally to write, you know, my, my husband bought a business here and I was just going to write, write, write. And then I, um, I, I was editing a couple projects that I brought here. So I came with editing work I was finishing, but then I met David Thayer and um, he was in the middle of making more than stars and he had a rough cut of the film and he, you know, but he wasn't happy with the way it was going. And so he showed it to me. And I gave him some suggestions. And then like the next day, he just called me. He's like, can you edit? <laughs> <laughs> so then I edited that and I loved it. It was so much fun. I edited some fiction. You know, I edited a couple low budget features. Um, uh, yeah, I sort of glossed over. I edited a lot of stuff when I lived in New York. I um, worked on tons of shows. I worked um, for documentaries for PBS. I worked on CNN Newsstand for a long time. Um, most of the stuff I did, though, was like short form documentary um, or long documentaries. Um, so this was the first fiction film that I really liked that I got to edit. And so that was fun. Um, and then I um, David there was producing Bozo, the documentary about Bozo Corishelli and um, um, Tom Walters, the director, had been editing it, too. But he really wanted like kind of an outside look at it because he'd been working on it for several years. So I started slowly just editing a little bit and then he's like, okay, you can take it further, you can take it further. And so then I recut it a lot and um, we worked on it together. It was an amazing collaboration. It was really fun. I love that film and it, you know, did pretty well, got out to a lot of festivals yeah. and 
won a bunch of awards. Um, and then uh, Sky Bergman saw that. She really liked it. So she got in touch with me about editing Lives Well Lived. Um, so I um, edited that documentary. And um, that was a two or three year process because, you know, <laughs> she was interviewing all kinds of people. It started as just kind of a film about her, her grandmother. And then she reached out to a lot of different um, people over yeah. 75 who were living well. So, and then... <clears throat> I just finished a documentary that I edited um, about Willie DeVille. Sorry, my phone is going nuts. Um, I don't know if you know who that is, but he's an American uh, musician who's really famous in Europe. Like he, he had a big career here in like the seventies. Um, oh, okay. He had a lot of drug issues and other things. And, um, and he was just much more appreciated in Europe. He's very famous in, in um, Germany and in France and in Holland, my Dutch brother-in-law is like Willie Deville. <laughs> <laughs> he loves him. And um, anyway, um, the director of that is someone who I went to Columbia Film School with, um, and uh, he he said, you know, once I get this film going, I really want you to edit it. And so we've been working on that. We just finished. I don't know if it's really finished, but we finished a cut. Um, I think it's the final cut, but it's probably going to go through a little bit of changing. Um, and we're hoping to get that out into the world. We're sort of waiting till COVID's over because we really yeah. want to be it at the Berlin Film Festival yeah. if possible. That would be cool. So, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. But it's amazing how, like, everything you just said has, like, it shows that, like, everything, one thing leads to another, you know? And this yeah. is, it can seem like it takes, you know, some people, they, they imagine, oh, I'm just going to break into the industry and it's just going to happen. And it's like, well, no, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to pay your dues. And and in a small way, I can relate. And I know Kyle can relate as well. Like, I, I love how you said the reluctant editor, because I remember for most of our projects uh, in the beginning, I was mainly like, I really wanted to be in charge of the editing. And then as time went on, the roles kind of switched, how Kyle really picked up the <laughs> editing side, because I was like, you know what, I... I can't do this. This is like, I need, I need some time, but I started picking up more of like on set things. So when I came here to school, I had very little experience with sound. And one day they needed someone to fill in on set and they were like, Hey, we need a guy to run boom. Um, I don't, but we don't have anyone. I'm like, I mean, I'll do it. What, what's hurting, you know, it's just running the boom. Like yeah, I can learn pretty quickly. And sure enough, I just like fell in love with it. And it, just seemed like so natural and i'm like well this is something i could do and sure enough more people started picking up on it and they're like hey yeah. for my production can you well everybody always needs a good sound person and that's True. one of the hardest things to find even in slow yes um, it's really hard and um yeah i mean if if, if that's something that you're good at then everybody's going to find out about it and they're going to yeah. want you to do it yeah, so everybody again, listening, we do sound. Yeah, we, we do sound. <laughs> I'm actually really glad to know that because I <laughs> I um, usually work with Alex. Um, I'm blanking on his last name. He's a great sound guy, but um, he can't always do it. So yeah. it's good to know um, that you guys can because sound yeah. the most, I tell my students this all the time, like, do not underestimate sound. Do not because people can forgive bad picture ways yes. you can forgive bad sound. Bad sound is what makes something look amateur, you know. My uh, feature thesis oh. film, Sarah, that there it is. <laughs> um, when I went into making it at the school, well, I had done, I had done three short films prior and all three of those short films, I had 
all this support from the school and from these other students on the camera side of things, but like zero support on the sound. And so it really showed it really, those films I feel really suffered because of the sound. And I really had to struggle with it in post. And so when I went into making, making Sarah, I made it, made sure I had this one student at the time who he was the sound guy, but also there was a a guy there in in Southern Utah who he kind of was the the, the sound guy in Southern Utah. And uh, he was a former student at the school and he helped with some of the sound. And so we put a big emphasis on, on the sound of the film, sometimes even more so than the picture in certain areas, but I felt it was, it ended up for this as small of a budget as we had and as limited resources we had, um, it, it ended up carrying the film in a much stronger way. Because like you said, if you have good picture and bad sound, that'll destroy it. But if you have good sound and decent picture, you know, that'll carry it much yeah. more thoroughly. So it was well, definitely a lesson a- learned. I was on a shoot last night and um, for the past couple of days we've been, so we, we had to run wireless logs on these actors because the, the lens is so wide that we're using and the camera's moving around so much. It's impossible to run a, you know, run a boom or even a plant mic. So we're running logs on these actors and it's going great. We can hear them. They're great. They sound awesome. Except for our male actor. He, um, anytime he like makes a, a like a subtle movement, we hear a slight like scratch and I'm like, well, I know we, we have like a, we have a moleskin on the mic. Everything's, everything's like protected so that we shouldn't be getting any feedback from the clothing. And I call, I call one of my professors and he's like, it's probably the shirt he's wearing. It's rubbing against itself. And you're picking up on that. And I'm like, wait a minute, lift your shirt up. Sure enough. He had just a small bit of chest hair where, where the <laughs> mic was. And I'm like, Hold on, can you just shave that real quick? Sure enough, he did. did he do it? He did it. We put the mic on, the scratching went away, and I was like, there you go. That's the problem. Sometimes it could be as simple, like as small, you know, tiny thing like that. You know, we're thinking, we're going to have to change wardrobe. This is going to be such a big problem. It's like, oh, yeah, it's just two-second fix. But um, Well, know. I tell my students all the time, sound is your secret weapon. And it's not just in the end. You know, it's like in your screenplays as well. Like, how can you use sound to help tell your story? Um, it it really, it, it makes a big difference. It goes back to show, don't tell. Yeah, it goes back to show, don't tell. And we feel things through sound. So, um, so yeah, sound is so important. So well, you to, really got to see the transition from, you know, from traditional film editing to digital NLEs. What was yeah. that like? Um. Well, it's funny because now that we don't edit on film anymore, it's hard to imagine that we used to. But <laughs> <laughs> there are, there were really good things about editing on film, and that is that you had to reel it up, and it, it took time. And during that time, you were thinking, even if you know you might be thinking about what you were going to do when you were done. Somewhere along the way, you were also thinking about, oh, I could change this, or I can move this, or I can do this. And if you think about it, most of the best films that were ever made were made on film. They weren't made on video or, you know, digitally. So it, it it's like one of my bosses that I worked for at a small production company in Washington, D.C. told me that editing, like you can always learn the next editing, whether it's software or, you know, I edited machine to machine with video at one point. It's just, it, they're all just tools for storytelling. So you can always master that next tool. It's really about the story that you want to tell. So, um, so yeah, I I even had a job syncing film, you know, at one point when I was 
you know, broke for a little while. And I go to this like obscure place in Boston and sync film together. And there was some serenity in that. It sort of sucked, but it also, there was something I liked about it. And I think about it sometimes. So I don't necessarily, yes, it's great now that, you know, we can try so many different um, things and, you know, nonlinear editing so quickly. Um, and it, it's wonderful. I mean, I have like a gazillion versions of the Willie DeVille edit. <laughs> you know? yeah. But I do feel like it isn't, it's still about your thinking and yes. putting it together and your storytelling. And I feel like when you know the story that you want to tell, when you start to figure that out, then you'll use whatever means that you have to help tell that story. Yeah. Well, and it's really cool that you do the the screenwriting and the editing aspect because they are very similar in a way. You're, yeah. you're in both ways, you're shaping the story. And I think there was I brought this up on another episode, but there's like the saying that the film you write is different than the film you shoot is different than the film you edit. Totally. How it changes all that that way. But you're there and on dif- different ends on different projects, but still on the beginning end and on that post end yeah that's true so it's very cool well it's amazing when you look back like on you know the the you see what we have now what we have available to us now like with editing or even like on set with shooting like we have things that are capable of you know wireless monitors and wireless video transfer wireless follow focus and all this amazing stuff you know gimbals instead of steady cams that are so much easier to use and then certain things will happen on set like one time we had you know, this, this thing that would transmit our video wirelessly, it just died and would not charge or turn on again. And we're like, well, shoot, this is really going to dent our schedule. And we're like, well, is it, you know, like, let, let's think like, think like our ancestors did, you know, <laughs> like, my favorite saying, it was an Orson Welles saying the enemy of art is the absence of limitations. Exactly. So sometimes those limitations make it a better film. You have to yes. think constructively and creatively and what you can do, um, so sometimes when you have everything, we get lazy. So yes. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about this on on this this show exactly. There was someone else we were talking to about the limitations that went into making Sarah, that went into making some of our other documentaries. That it turned out like we'd have a moment of panic, like oh my god, this isn't going to work out. And then you realize, wait a minute, how can you know? Not only how can I make this work, will this actually make it better? You know, and in some cases it did. And we're we're happier with the results because we had those limitations. And if yeah. we had had all those resources at our disposal, I don't think it would have been as good as it turned out to be. So that's that definitely is a sentiment I hear from a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Well, to, uh, you know, to kind of wrap things up, I just wanted, I'll ask you, um, what are some final thoughts you have just about you know, your stance in the art of film and where, where you're at right now and maybe where you're going to be in the future. So just, um, yeah, let us know. I, you know, I just hope to keep doing what I'm doing and um, I really want to focus on writing. Um, I'm hoping, like, I'm really busy right now with my two classes, but once this quarter's over, I'm just going to dive more into my writing and hope to get my work out there, hope to get you know, representation. And, um, you know, I just feel like there's always more stories to tell. I I feel like that's the exciting thing about film is that we're never going to run out of stories because life is changing all the time. And my personal stories are different than your personal stories that are different than others' personal stories. 
And, you know, you start with those and then you bring them out into fiction and the possibilities are endless. So I feel like, you know, there's just, there's, you know, there's always more story and, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, I guess, where I'll end it. Like I, well, in I, particular, your more. story, you know, whoever you are, yeah. your story is exactly told. Right, right. Nobody's had the same experiences that you have. Nobody's had those, you know, cast of characters that have populated your lives and my lives. Um, you know, I say lives. We've all had so many lives, if you really think about it, you know. And, and so, yeah, I feel like there, I'm always coming up with ideas of things that I want to expand on. It's just really, for me, it's time, you know, just finding the time to really finish stuff. Um, so, so, yeah, 2021. Yeah. Be- yep. <laughs> year. And I think uh, I'll I'll ask one very last question, and that is for our listeners and our viewers, uh, what is something that you, like a piece of advice you tell your students that you would want to relay to anybody who wants to go into screenwriting or pursue screenwriting? I guess in a way it's start with what you know um, to, you know, find out those stories, those stories that make you feel. Um, whatever that emotion is, you know, whether it's pain or whether it's joy or whether it's, you know, um, a surprise, whatever it is. And if you feel that and you write them authentically, um, then others will feel it too. Because it's all about feeling. It's all about connection, whether it's your characters connecting, moments of disconnection and connection with your characters, um, the audience connecting and disconnecting moments you know, it's, it's all about taking us on that ride um, where we care, where we connect, um, where we fear, where they fear, where we, you know, laugh, where they laugh, all of that. So, um, so yeah, um, of course, I think I've said this like three times, but you don't stay in that place. You use it as your, as your inspiration and then, you know, bring other things together and go into the world of fiction. Um, so yeah, that I think that's really important. I think it's also, you know, if you if you don't have the resources, make something for the web. You know, that's a whole new place where you can tell your stories. Start telling stories on the web. Maybe people will see them. Maybe people will connect with them and help you get to the next level. So use what you have. If you don't have any other resources, use your phone. I mean, there are people who are making amazing films with their phones. Um, and then you can up yourself, your up your production from there. Um, but just, you know, tell, tell your stories. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Well, thank you for being on this episode. Really enjoyed talking to you and, um, to all our listeners and viewers, uh, you can make sure to follow us on all our social media. We're going to put that in the description and uh, special thanks to Randy for being a part of this episode. And stay tuned uh, next week for another exciting episode of the Super Image LTD podcast. Thank you for watching or listening. Thanks, guys.